0: Amen. Amen. First Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 18 this morning. First Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. We're continuing our study in the book of First Peter. While you're finding that, I just wanted to read a quick thank you to our church. From Pastor McMichael, Chairman of the Board of the Turning Point Youth Facilities... This is in regards to our ministry to the Foster Group Home. He says, thank you for your continued support for the year 2014. Turning Point Youth Facilities is excited to partner with the Oasis Church as you reach back to the community and serve. Last year was a trem- was tremendous in that your church has provided our youth with a sense of stability and emotional permanency. You have also contributed countless numbers of material items that has enhanced the services we provide. On behalf of myself and the Turning Point Youth Facilities, we want to say thank you. So I wanted to share that with you as well. And yes, you've probably already realized that allergies have kicked me around this week. So I apologize. You're gonna to have to bear with my voice and my head and all of that this morning. First Peter chapter one. So Last week we talked about living with clarity, and how you and I as Christians can have that clarity in our life to be able to see, you know, where God wants us to go, what God wants us to do, but that clarity also lends itself in another area, and that is that it allows us to value the things that truly matter, to value the things that matter to God, That to to value the things that matter most. It it is a way of us, if you will, going through life, putting the price tags on things that God would say are of high value, and not putting so much value on the things that God doesn't put value on. And and we may say, oh, uh, you know, no problem with that. But when you look at even the history of the church and the history of Christianity and all of that, I don't think that this is quite as easy and just as automatic as maybe it appears on the surface. Even in Jesus' day, the religious leaders of Israel were majoring on minor things and minoring on things that were really important to God. And that's one of the things that Jesus had such a beef with about the religious leaders. And I think in our day, we have to be careful both as individuals as families, as a church, that we are living in such a way that we're putting high value on the things that God puts high value on and the things that are of lesser value aren't the things that we're really investing and putting all of our energy and effort in as well. How are we doing in that? And, and Peter wants to just boil it down in our uh, passage today to really three things that he feels like If we could just value these three things, that again, all the other areas of our life would fall into proper place. And so Peter's going to share with us three things that should be of obviously high value to us as a believer in Jesus Christ. They are our salvation. They are our relationships, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And finally, our relationship with the word of God. And, and this is such a great message for a communion Sunday where we are reminded too about the cost and the sacrifice of Jesus for us. So let's go back to 1 Peter 1.18 and let's see what Peter says beginning about valuing our salvation. First of all, in verse 18, he says, you know that from your empty way of life, you were ransomed. He says, you know. This word know means an intuitive, self-evident knowledge. In other words, Peter is reminding us that when we did become a Christian... When we did commit our lives to Jesus Christ, that that one of the things God did was obviously not give us all knowledge, because our whole Christian life is growing in knowledge, but there is certain things that that happen the moment we get saved that the light bulb sort of goes on and we go, Oh, I I get it now. I, I see the difference. I see the contrast. And Peter is saying to Christians, you know, this was an intuitive, self-evident knowledge that God gave you when you became a Christian, that before you came to Christ, your life was described by God as empty. Doesn't mean meaningless, but what it does mean is, what end was our life pointing to? That's the first thing the word empty means. To what end were we living before Christ? What was our goal for life? You see, and the second thing the word empty also means is without lasting value or eternal value. In other words, he's saying when we became a Christian. One of the things that should have become very evident early on is that the way we were living before Christ, we could see like, yeah, the road I was traveling down, where was I actually going? Where was that all going to end? What was the goal of my life there? Where now that I have Christ in my life, oh, I, I begin to see what the goal and purpose of my life, I begin to see the direction I should go. And if nothing else, Peter's already told us that, it can even be boiled down to, if you don't know any other purpose, be holy, God says, because I'm holy. We talked about that last week. And then he says, too, we, we should also have realized that, my goodness, most of the things, if not all the things that I was, you know, involved in and putting my effort and energy in, they were all material, physical things that weren't going to outlast me. And once I was dead, well, they were going to all die with me. He said, but when you and I become a Christian, we realize that our life now has not just meaning for this life, but it has eternal value and impact. And and our lives can make a difference in eternity and throughout eternity. So that's why Peter is saying to all of us, you know that from your empty life delivered from your ancestors, you and I were ransomed Or redeemed. It's a word that simply means we have been set free through the payment of a price. Set free. See, salvation, if you will, and coming into a relationship with God is not just about having our sins forgiven and we're on our way to heaven. It's about experiencing freedom. Freedom that can only come through Jesus Christ. Jesus even said, if the Son sets you free, you will be what? Free indeed. And so God has come to set us all free. Not just from the penalty of our sin, but from the power of sin. God wants us to be overcomers. God wants us to conquer. He wants us to be victorious in this life through him. And we can do that because of our salvation. And so Peter's saying, do we really value the freedom that we have? Do we really value that we have been set free and nothing needs to have a permanent grip on our lives? We don't have to be held in bondage to anything throughout our lives. That as we grow in Christ, we can learn to see those shackles and all those things that hold us back from being who God created us to be. We can see those all gone and begin to disappear because this is the salvation that God brought. Not just forgiveness of sins, but real, true freedom. And freedom in the Bible isn't free to be what I want. Freedom in the Bible is to become who God created us to be. That's why many times in the Bible you'll hear writers like Peter and Paul say to Christians, Yes, you're free, but use your freedom to serve one another. Yes, you're free, but don't use your freedom as an excuse and justification for sin. See, yes, we're free. But if we understand what that means, it means we are free now to truly become who God created us to be. We are free to grow up and see all the potential that God placed within us. And that's what Peter's saying here. Do we value our salvation? Because he talks about the fact that, yes, we were ransomed, but notice he says, not with perishable or literally short-lived things like silver or gold. And we know in our world today, money and wealth and material things are of high value. And yet, Peter's even saying to Christians, you realize it-, it wasn't through any, even the most uh, materially you know, prominent things in our world that we were ransomed. He says, but we were ransomed with the precious... Priceless blood of Jesus Christ. An unblemished, spotless lamb. Talks about his flawlessness without defect. Sacrificial and perfect. By the way, the word precious here or priceless means that which is of infinite, high value and worth. Do we realize how Value, how much worth is in the blood, the lifeblood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. who was willing to leave the glories of heaven, the adoration of the angels, take on a human body, come to earth, and not just be subjected to all that would go along with a human body, but to allow those that he created to ultimately crucify him. And see, what Peter's also trying to show us in this passage on valuing our salvation is that when we really begin to understand our salvation, and we really value it like we should as Christians every day, we'll also begin to value us. Because we will begin to think about what Jesus, the Son of God, did for us, that He was willing to give up his very life blood so that he could set us free. This is how much he valued us. And then Peter's even going to take it a step further. Notice what he says in verse 20. He was also foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for your sake. Peter's saying, do you realize that just taking your life that this whole redemption and ransoming and setting us free by his very lifeblood as God was not an afterthought. It wasn't a reaction. Because he's God, he can see the end from the beginning. And he was able to look down through the quarters of time. And he knew as God that when man was given a choice by him in the garden, that man would choose sin. And therefore, God, knowing that, prescribed and purposed that there would be a way back to God. That he would never even create man with the possibility of being able to choose sin and to fall away from him without also prescribing a way to get back to God and becoming who God created us to be. Peter says, do you value that? Do you realize what God has done here. And that because he's God, again, it's hard for us maybe to to understand the, the breadth and depth of all this totally. But to even take yourself and think of when you were physically born. I was born in 1961. Now you know how old I am. And to think that what Peter is saying to Jeff Royce is, do you realize, Jeff, that before God ever laid the foundation of the earth, before there was ever a Genesis 1-1, in eternity past, even before the angels and anything was created, when it was just God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that God was able to look down the quarters of time And see that obviously Adam and Eve were going to fall. And sin was going to come. And it was going to break a relationship that man was going to have with his creator. And yet God also saw all the way down to 1961 to when Jeff Royce was born. And God had me in mind as well as every other human being in mind. When before the foundation of the world, God the Son said, I'll be the one to go. And give up my life so that Jeff Royce can have a relationship with me. Peter says, do we really value what God has done? In the fact that he had planned this even before anything else was created. Because he knew what was coming. Now yes, Peter says in these last days. And the last days do biblically start with When Christ came in Bethlehem as a baby. He says in these last days he was clearly manifested for you. And he uses that you personally. He wants every reader of this again to value our salvation. To the point where we would acknowledge that even if it was only me. Jesus would have left heaven just for me. That's how much he loves us. That's how much we should value what we have in Jesus Christ and the freedom and the forgiveness and all of that that God has brought to us through Jesus Christ. That's why he goes on to say, through him, verse 21, you now trust in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter is saying, look, if you and I have come to believe in Jesus Christ and accept God's salvation, then Peter says, we we need to keep reminding ourselves that that's the greatest need we could ever have as a human being. There, There is no greater need than being restored to a relationship with God that was broken Because of our sin. That's the greatest need we will ever have. And so Peter is saying, if we truly value that and understand what transaction happened there and what God did for us and bring us back to Him, then he says, why do we continue to struggle with trusting Him for things that are far less in our lives on an everyday basis than our salvation? And we all understand that, you know, how is it that as a Christian, I can trust God to take care of my greatest need, which is my soul. And I can trust him enough to give him my soul and know that, you know, I'm I'm going to be with him in, in heaven and he's forgiven my sin. And and now I have peace with God. I can trust him for that, but I can't trust him to. Meet my everyday needs? No wonder Jesus said to his followers, O ye of little faith, I know when a sparrow falls from a tree. I know what happens to my creation a lot less of value than you. And if I care that much about a sparrow, Jesus says... Do I not care that much more about you who have an eternal soul? Why I came to earth and died on this cross to set you free? And part of that freedom is not to be worried and anxious about all these things. But it's learning to cast all our care upon him because he cares for us. And so Peter here is just laying out sort of a, an argument, if you will, of, of why we, you know, when it comes to placing high value on something and truly waking up each day being thankful for something, the top of the list should be our salvation. What Jesus has done for us, regardless of what we're going through right now, if we got back to really seeing salvation again from God's perspective, we would go, wow. This is the the greatest thing I could ever have. And I've got it. And I need to be thankful for it. And I need to live it out. And I need to live out the freedom that Jesus came to give me every day. And realize now what I have through Jesus Christ. He's ransomed me. He's redeemed me. He has set me free. And now I need to start living out that freedom that I already have in Jesus Christ. Live out the position that we have. Peter doesn't stop there. Notice in verse 22, he says too, you have purified your souls by obeying the truth. I don't want to get too technical here, but this is important sometimes when you're studying the Bible to, to get this deep. The word purified is in the perfect tense in the Greek language, which simply means it was something that happened as an action in the past, but has ongoing results. And so Peter's basically saying, when you and I came to Christ, when we did experience this salvation, we were beginning to see our souls purified. And that purification took place back here whenever I came to Christ. But that purification doesn't just stop on my soul the moment I accept Christ. It has ongoing results through the rest of my life. And the ongoing results are sort of enacted in my soul whenever I obey the truth. It is obedience that continues to bring about that purifying, if you will, that starts when a Christian becomes a Christian, when a person becomes a Christian and accepts Christ. So Peter's saying this. Remember, our soul is a description of who God created us to be. So in a sense, he's going back and saying, so you you understand that when that purification began, There was a clarity because when something is purified, you take all the stuff that the dilution and the pollution, everything out so you can see something clear. That's what something that's purified does. And so he's saying your soul began to be purified the moment you became a Christian. You began to see glimpses at a time who God created you to be. And as you and I then as believers walk in obedience to the truth of God, then that even becomes clearer and clearer and clearer as we progress through our Christian life. It starts when we became a Christian, but it doesn't end there. It has ongoing results as we, Peter says, obey the truth. That's why, going back to last week's message, Peter says it's so important that we encourage each other to be obedient to the truth. Because without obedience, that purification of our soul becomes cloudy and foggy. And we, we lose sight of who we really are in Christ. And who God wants us to be. It's only through obedience that that becomes clearer and clearer to us. And that we can live in clarity. So he brings that back around because in this passage on valuing the things that God values, it all comes out of a a life and, and eyes, if you will, of faith that have great clarity to them. And so the first thing Peter says we should value is our salvation. The second thing is our relationships. Our relationships. Because Peter's talking to us about investing wisely in things that will last. And obviously our salvation is something that we don't just carry with us through this life, but we get to carry the effects of our salvation on through eternity. Well, guess what? There's something else that God brings us into contact with down here on earth that we will have forever, eternally. And they are relationships, especially... If we're talking about eternal relationships, our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why then he says in verse 22, you have purified your souls by obeying the truth in order. Here's the purpose clause. Here's here's what it's all for. In order to show sincere mutual love. I'm going to stop there. This is, this is the reason why. Because we should be valuing the relationships that God has brought us into contact with. And we should be showing and, and valuing showing sincere mutual love. Let, let's first take the word show. It reminds us that God's kind of love, the kind of love that he places within us through the Holy Spirit, Romans 5.5, 5, is the kind of love he also wants us to show to each other. And God's kind of love isn't just a love of word. I mean, yes, we should articulate our love for each other. That's part of it. But primarily the the word for love in the Bible is an active word. In other words, it's a love that's going to show itself in action. And Peter's saying, if we truly value relationships with each other, especially as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to be very intentional about how we show our love and express our love to each other. Then he uses the word sincere. That means without pretense. In other words, don't pretend, you know. You know how we as Christians can pretend every once in a while. I love you, man. I'd like to punch you in the mouth. <laughs> Peter's saying, don't be like that to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't, don't come to church all, you know, well, we love you. Whatever, and then go, go in the car after church and start talking about him and slandering them and gossiping about them. Peter's saying, don't, don't pretend. The kind of love that God wants to build into our lives for each other is a genuine, sincere, heartfelt love. It's real. It's not just put on on Sunday or Tuesday or when we see each other out there. It's a love that's constant. It's a love that's going to pray for each other even when we don't see each other. It's a love that's going to be sensitive to each other and concerned about each other even when we're not physically present. It's going to be a love for each other that's just as much on fire when we're not together as we are when we are together. That's sincere love. And then he says... I call to to mutual, reciprocal love. Because we all know that relationships, if they're going to be great relationships, they can't be one-sided. One-sided relationships eventually fall so far out of balance that they just don't work. It's got to be both parties, whether you're talking about spouses in marriage or friends or brothers and sisters in Christ, who both pour into this relationship and make it a mutual reciprocal give and take, not where one is always giving and the other is always taking. It's got to be mutual. And the word love here, the first word in verse 22 is the Greek word phileo, which really means to express warm affection towards one another. To express warm affection towards one another. Peter says if we truly value each other, this is the kind of love we're going to have for each other. And it goes back to what I said previously even about our salvation. You know, one of the reasons why Christians even have a hard time valuing other people in their lives and relationships with their brothers and sisters in Christ, because they've really never got to a point in their salvation where they value their salvation and see it from God's perspective or from a biblical perspective, which means then they really don't value themselves. And if you and I as an individual, a human being, if we place very little value on us, because we don't see ourselves through God's eyes, we don't see ourselves through the Word of God, then we won't value others either. That's why people treat each other the way they do today. That's why there's so much cruelty and violence and hatred in our society. It goes back to, it's not just people hating each other. It's people really hating themselves and seeing no value in their own life, which is why then they treat each other this way. Hurt people hurt people. Or you could say it this way, hurting people hurt others. And so Peter is saying, if I truly value my salvation and what Jesus Christ has done for me, what God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son has done for me and is doing for me, In my salvation, I begin to see myself through God's eyes and the value that he placed even on me. And that hopefully will transform not just my eyes of how I view myself, but how I begin to view others, especially my brothers and sisters in Christ. Which is why he says, as he goes on here, so love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now this word love is the Greek word agape. And this word then speaks about a supernatural, selfless, sacrificial, unconditional, Godlike love. And Peter's saying this is the kind of love God wants to see amongst his people towards each other. His kind of love. A love that was poured into us through the Holy Spirit that was given to us. Again, Romans 5 5. As I've shared with people before, a Christian is, is really mistaken, if we go to God in prayer and ask God, God, please give me more love for this person. Because God would come back to us and say, read my word where I've told you, I've given you all the love you need through the Holy Spirit. It's not a matter of you and I need more love to love somebody. It's a matter of yielding to the Holy Spirit and letting God take over to supernaturally love others through him. That's the kind of love God wants us to have. By the way, the word earnestly up here, or fervently, means an unceasing, intense, stretched-out love. That's a great description, isn't it? Unceasing, intense, stretched-out love. Peter says... If we truly value each other, that's the kind of love we're going to have towards each other. Now think about this for a moment. And begin to think about this. Even in the context of Christianity in the church today. And one of the things we see missing today, I believe with all my heart is this kind of love even amongst Christians. Because even as Christians and as the church, we have become so influenced by the world and we have allowed a worldly perspective to so creep into the church that we treat our relationships, even with each other, the way the world treats their relationships. Which is why when Christians begin to struggle with each other, when they begin to have problems with each other, Instead of learning biblically how to work through it, and, and even there's going to be tough times in every relationship. Any married couple that's been married for a number of years knows, you know what, You just there's times you just have to learn to, to work through it and, and stay committed to it. And it's not always fun and all that kind of stuff. And friendship, same thing. Friendships over the long haul. Gotta learn how to work through things and talk things out and be able to do all this. No, no. See, the, the response of many Christians today is, I walk away. When, when it gets hard, when someone's hurt me, uh, when, when this gets a little sideways in some way, I walk away because relationships, even amongst Christians, have become just as disposable as those in the world. And Peter says, that's not how God designed it to be. God didn't tell us that relationships with each other was always going to be easy. But what he did say is, if you take the time to invest in them, and you value them like we should, then we're going to learn to hang in there with each other in an intense, stretched out, unceasing way because why because that really shows the power of the Holy Spirit it shows no spiritual power for me to have a problem with somebody even a brother or sister of Christ and walk away from them what what power of God does that show what reality of God does that show but as I shared on Tuesday night in our study of revelation when Christians can come together And be unified and learn to work together towards common goals and work through their issues and problems and all of that with each other and learn to forgive and communicate with each other and work through those tough. That's what shows the power of God. That's what shows the reality of God. Not walking away and treating relationships as disposable. That puts no value on relationships at all. And yet that's what many Christians do today. I'm having a problem, so I walk away. And then we wonder why friendships don't last. We wonder why marriages don't last. And why friendships and marriages, even within the church, aren't really staying together any longer than they do outside the church. Because we have lost the value of, The price, the worth that God places. And here's the deal. He's telling us, but it's relationships that's going to matter and last in eternity. It's going to be the people that really matter. The people that we see. Even Paul said that. He said to the Thessalonians, you're my joy and crown. When I get to heaven, when I get to glory, the thing that's going to excite me more than anything is that God used me in your life. That's what's going to make it all worthwhile people because people at the end of the day were what lasts and how is it that we want god to make sure that we're not disposable in his life (laughs) and yet if we're supposed to follow his example and model him we dispose of other people so easily and quickly See, if we're following God's example, and God doesn't throw us away no matter what we do, and God doesn't dispose of Jeff Royce no matter how many times Jeff Royce fails God, no matter how Jeff Royce does, God's love for me is unconditional. It is stretched out. I can only imagine what God looks like in my life over these years. How much God has had to stretch and stretch and stretch. And yet God never is going to come back to Jeff Royce and say, okay, I'm done. No. And yet in our own relationships, we look at somebody and we go, I'm done. We would never want God to treat us that way. And that's why Peter says, so love one another fervently, earnestly. From a pure heart. And then he says in verse 23. Value the eternal word of God. Any time spent in the word of God. Is an eternal investment. There's only two things. That you and I come in contact with. On this earth throughout our lifetime. That are eternal. Only two. Only two. People. And the word of God. That's it. Nothing else we get to take with us into eternity. Nothing. Nothing. Trust me, I've done a lot of funerals. That's it. The people that we've impacted and influenced and touched and our time with the Word of God. That's why Peter says, He says, you have been born anew, born again, spiritually regenerated, brought into a fresh new beginning and a new family. Because when we're born, we're obviously born into a family too, right? And Peter's saying, don't forget, you were born into this new family, a family that you should value because you're going to have eternal relationships with these folks. But he said, you were born anew, not from perishable or passing away something that's passing away. But from the enduring, excuse me, imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. He's trying to show us that we came to Christ through God's word. And God's word lasts. And that's why he goes on to say, for all flesh, all of our human nature, all of our physical nature is like grass. And its glory, its magnificence is like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. In other words, it doesn't matter how physically magnificent we are. We're going to age and we're going to get old if the Lord doesn't come. And We're all going to experience the aging process because, in a sense, we start dying the moment we're born. Because we're born into this sin. And the wages of sin, Paul says, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Peter's saying, I don't care how much physically magnificent... Eventually, that body is going to die. It's going to wear out. It's going to pass away. It's going to fail. But the word of God abides forever. The word of God says forever, O Lord, your word is settled in the heavens. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And Peter says finally, this is the word that was proclaimed to you. Peter's saying, do we really value this? Do we realize that any time that we read it, study it, memorize it, meditate on it, share it, that we are making an eternal investment that will last with us throughout eternity? It's that valuable. So Peter's saying, do we have the clarity to put the right price tags on the right things? As we're moving through life, are we putting high value on the things that God says are of high value? Or are we putting a lot of energy and effort into things that at the end throughout eternity isn't going to matter and we can't take with us anyway? Peter's saying, We should value our salvation. We should value our relationships because, especially with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we will enjoy and experience them throughout eternity. And we should value the Word of God, which brought about our salvation in the first place. Let me say this. In closing, as your pastor, I want to commend you folks here at the Oasis. We could all do better. I get that. I I hope you don't take what I'm about to say as complacency and, and being comfortable. We should never be satisfied. But I want to encourage you. Because though we all have room for improvement and we have plenty of room for improvement as a church... I feel like in general, for the most part, I am always amongst a group of people on a weekly basis that you are learning to value your salvation, your relationships with each other, and the Word of God. And that is making you who you are, and that is making this church the kind of church that it is. And I want to thank you for that. because we shouldn't take for granted that just because we're in a church <laughs> that we're with a group of people who have values like we should have values. And I thank you that I'm amongst a group of people that as I gather around you, I can hear and see from you you truly value your salvation. You're learning to value it more and more. You value relationships. I can tell by the way you treat each other and the way you treat people who come into this church. And you value the Word of God, obviously, because that's one of the main reasons why you're at a place like this, because you want the Word of God. And you want to study, and you want to learn, and you want to grow. Thank you. Just keep it up. Keep going. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what we have. Lord, so often as human beings, we can begin to take for granted the things that we have, even great things, even valuable things. When we're around them for a period of time, they can begin to lose their their worth to us sometimes we just have to be reminded of what we have. Thank you, God, that on this communion Sunday, where we commemorate and remember what you, Jesus, have done for each of us, that, Lord, it brings us back and centers us and reminds us that, God, we should value our salvation. We should value our relationships. We should value your word. So God, in just a moment as we're dismissed during this last song and each of us goes up to that table and we get that bread and that cup and come back to our seat. God, may we in these few moments left together today, may we truly ask you, God, to help us to value the things that you value. Help us to to make choices and decisions that reflect your value. And what really matters. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, as you're dismissed and go back to the table, we would just ask that as you get these elements, that you would come back to your seat and just keep them with you so that we can all partake of communion together in just a few moments.